This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. A wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord. A wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock where rivers of pleasure I see. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of His love and covers me there with His hand and covers me there with His Savior is Jesus my Lord. He taketh my burden away. He holdeth me up and I shall not be moved. He giveth me strength as my day. In the cleft of the rock That shadows a dry, thirsty land He hideth my life In the depths of His love And covers me there with His hand Transported I rise To meet Him in clouds of the sky His perfect salvation His wonderful love I'll shout with the millions on In the cleft of the rock That shadows a dry, thirsty 
If you would open your Bibles, please, to the book of Matthew, and uh, we want to, just for a few moments here, uh, just have an abbreviated study. If, if you can believe that Joe Trussell can do abbreviated, we're going to do our very best before we take several people through the waters of baptism. We're going to study a parable that I think I struggle with more than any other parable, Because if you would ask me for a short statement describing this parable, I would sum it up by saying it's not fair. From my understanding, my perspective of what is fair today, what Jesus was promoting in this parable was not fair. Now, Now, before we read our scripture, I want to point out that our society is really into expressing their opinions on fairness. You know, it shows itself many different ways. It shows itself at ball games. And, and some of you probably are guilty, as I've been guilty. We're quick to say, ref, you blew it, buddy. Not fair. You want my glasses? What's wrong with you? Can't you see? Or coaches, teachers at schools are continually questioned by parents because they feel their child wasn't treated fairly. Or at work, we, we struggle with fairness as We see the boss seemingly treating a particular employee with a different set of standards and and they get by with so much more than we do and they say, we say, it's just not fair. Well, Jesus doesn't always play fair. At least according to our human standards. And and I don't mean to say that disrespectfully. We we know that in the end, Jesus is more than fair. But, but, but here on earth, sometimes Christ has a habit of messing with our concept of justice and fairness. And Matthew chapter 20 is a parable that does just that. I'm actually going to begin with the last verse of chapter 19. And that will kind of propel us into chapter 20, but verse 30 of Matthew chapter 19 reads like this, but many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. And, and some of us already are saying not fair, but it gets worse. Chapter 20, verse one, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard. I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour he went out and found others still standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Verse 8, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, 
came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last only worked one hour. They said, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? In other words, we had a contract. Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Now, in this parable, Jesus redefines our idea of fairness and and tries to help us see that that the process by which we determine fairness is all messed up. Now, why did God include this parable in the Bible? Well, I, I needed a track with me here because we are notorious for judging our relationship with God based on what we've accomplished in life. And, and we base it on how important we feel we are in the church or in the community. Or we base it on how good we think we are in comparison to the average person in our town. But if you judge your walk with God based on those things, you're going to be very, very frustrated with God's seeming indifference to your quote-unquote importance and to your quote-unquote accomplishments. And you're going to cry, not fair. You know, I find that what I'm discouraged it generally isn't because my life is terrible. It's because I think something is unfair. You know, someone isn't meeting my expectations. Maybe God isn't meeting my expectations. He's not doing what I think God should do. Or maybe it's someone else that, that isn't doing what I think they should do. Or sometimes it's just me. I, I'm not meeting my expectations. And, and I'm disappointed in myself. And I see somebody else that's better at something than I am. And, and really the truth is that we have a ranking system. And, and sometimes it exists, exists in the secrecy and, and the deep crevices of, of our hearts. But we tend to rank each other. You know, I, I, we see someone and say, Wow, that is an amazing talent right there. I would probably put them right at the top. They're, they're amazing, so talented, so gifted. Well, there's a person there. I, I'd put them about average. So they're going to be five, six, seven down the totem pole. And that person over there, they're a total loser. They come in dead last. But God in this parable is, is trying to help us understand that, that his ranking system is totally different than ours. And, and his ranking system is all about servanthood. It's not about power. It's not about prestige. Do you realize that Jesus doesn't brag on those who climb the ladder of power and prestige? Jesus predominantly brags on people when they serve. Let's just bring this down to Cedar County. I don't think you would ever find Jesus bragging on a church board if all they did was to come to meetings and make decisions. Okay, guys, let's decide. Do we need new carpet here? Should we paint this room? Should we approve this? Um, and you've got to have leaders and decision makers in a church. And thank God for our board of directors. But Jesus would never brag on a board if all they did was just come together and make a few decisions from the boardroom. Nor would Jesus ever brag on a pastor that, that once in a while might, might preach a halfway decent sermon and, and maybe even on occasion just hit it out of the park. 
you don't find Jesus bragging on those disciples when they preached an outstanding sermon. Furthermore, this gets really close to us. Jesus would never brag on church members that all they did was just come to church and sing a few songs and give a few dollars and and feel good because they endured a boring sermon. You know what impressed Jesus when he walked on earth and, and what still impresses Jesus today is church boards and church members and Sunday school teachers and, and pastors and, and people with great financial means and people with little or no financial means getting their hands dirty and serving the body of Christ and serving those outside the body of Christ together. And again, we need leaders that will make decisions, but you don't read in the Word where God brags on decision makers. He brags on those who serve. He brags on those who give a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus. He brags on those who have two cloaks so they give one up. He brags on those who go the extra mile for someone. Now, notice in this parable that the only group of workers with a contract were those in the first group. They agreed to work a full day, 12 hours for one denarius, which was a standard day's wage. And, and everybody was happy with the contract that they signed to make one denarius for the day. Good wages. Now, at the third hour, which would have been 9 o'clock, the landowner goes back and hires some more workers. But what's interesting, these workers, however, are hired on trust, not on contract. The owner doesn't tell them how much he's going to pay them. He just says, I'll pay you whatever's right. He does the same thing at the sixth hour, which would have been noon. Then at the ninth hour, which would have been three o'clock. And then finally at the eleventh hour, one hour before quitting time, he hires one last group and he tells them the same thing. Trust me, I will pay you what is right. I'll be fair. Well, at quitting time, the whistle blows and it's time to get paid. And as the landowner begins calling the workers forward to receive their pay, this is where the fur begins to fly. And from my perspective, rightly so, and, and you know, the first questionable thing that takes place is the landowner decides to pay first the guys who arrived last. To me, it would have been a courtesy to pay those who had been working 12 hours so they could go home. They, in those days, it was hand to mouth, so they would need to go and buy groceries so they could fix supper for their family. It would have been a courtesy to let those guys who had been there 12 hours to pay them first. But it was almost like the landowner was trying to pick a fight. And prepare yourself here. Because if you're one that continually focuses on what's fair and what's not fair, are you listening? If you're one that second guesses the coach or you're always crying for a foul that the ref didn't call or you're always evaluating whether or not the school board or the church board or the city council made the right decision or, or you're always saying this is fair, this is not fair, then this part of our study together is going to be very frustrating to you. But anyway, the, the, the paymaster yells out, okay, 11th hour, guys, come on up. And the workers who had just showed up an hour ago, they come forward. They're fresh. They're energetic. They still smell good. 
they haven't even broken into a sweat. And the paymaster says, we agreed that I would pay you what's fair, right? I said, yep. So he says, here's a denarius for you. It's a full day's wages. But a denarius for you and a denarius for you and a denarius for you and a denarius for you. Now, the guys who have been working 12 hours, they're at the end of the line. And, and believe you me, they're paying attention. And they start doing the math. Wow. They got a denarius, a full day's wage for one hour. That's crazy good money. And they're getting excited because even though they, they had a contract to receive the fair wage of one denarius for the entire day, yet they just kind of have that sense that if those who worked one hour got a denarius, they were going to come out really, really good for 12 hours of work. Well, the foreman next calls the three o'clock workers. Denarius for you. Denarius for you and for you. Okay, 12 o'clock, come on up. Denarius for you, for you, you. Well, about now, those that are at the end of the line are probably, they're getting a little bit nervous. They, they don't know where this thing is going, and, and they're starting to murmur among themselves. Nine o'clock workers, your turn. And again, denarius, denarius, denarius. Well, finally, the paymaster gets to the first group who 12 hours ago, ago agreed under contract, gets that under contract, the very fair wage of one denarius. And the paymaster starts paying them. He says, thank you for working. It's my privilege to be able to give you a denarius for you and a denarius for you and for you and for you. And as you can only imagine, they come unglued. And by the way, I can read some of your minds because you're upset as well, aren't you? You're, you're saying, that's not fair. That's not fair. And from our perspective, it isn't fair. Well, those guys that are exhausted and sweaty begin to protest and, and say, this is ridiculous. This is not fair. This is not even close to fair. And, and the landowner said, I, I'm sorry. What what's not fair? You you signed a contract here. You agreed that a denarius was fair wages for the day, didn't you? Well, yes. But we've been out in the heat for twelve hours. We're we're dehydrated. We're we're worn to a frazzle. And and you paid these other guys that slept in. They were lazy. They got to work at the end of the day. You paid them the same as you're paying us. I'm sorry, sir. I'm not going to. I'm not going to take that. I'm going to stand up against you because that's not fair. So, what is Jesus saying in this really complex parable? Well, I think there are different lessons that we could learn. But one is that God doesn't give us what we think we deserve. You know, we think that because we've been good boys and good girls and because we've done this and we've done that, we've kept our nose, nose clean for 20 years and, and, you know, we're pretty important. We've got leadership in the church. We, we think we deserve something fair and quantifiable and, and we want to deserve what we get and get what we deserve. But God doesn't give us what we think we deserve. He gives us what He wants to give us and asks us to trust Him because as that song said that we just sang, He's a good, good Father. And here's the key statement of the whole message. 
when you really think of it, what God gives us is way beyond what we deserve anyway. And when you wish that that God operated a bit more fairly, my question is, really? I mean, do you really want to come into a contract with God? Do you really want to talk about what you deserve? We don't want to go there. That's a dead end. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is what? Death. Did you sin? You deserve death. We all deserve death because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so anything more that we get than death is sheer grace and mercy. So let's stop talking in terms of what we deserve. Let's stop talking about what is fair. And yes, as we compare what we have to what others might have, it it, it may at times seem unfair, but, but then if we want true fairness, we're all doomed. So instead, let's not question God's fairness. If He gave His only Son that we might be saved from eternity in hell, I don't think you have to worry about God's fairness. Just celebrate His wonderful, undeserved, unmerited grace. And remember the life here on earth? It's just the warm-up. Our real blessings are on the other side of the grave. But until we get there, just celebrate the wonderful grace of Jesus. And today that's what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate God's wonderful grace. We're going to celebrate the fact that several people have been given not what they deserve because they deserve death, but they've given what they've been given what they so desperately needed, and that was salvation. And we get to celebrate that today. Let's just bow our heads. Father, this is such a difficult lesson and Lord, we want, we want it to be fair. We want to be able to think that we're getting what belongs to us. And especially if, if we've been good boys and good girls, then we feel like we deserve more than the person down the road that hasn't lived their life right. But God, help us to understand that we've been given so much more than what is fair. Lord, the justice and mercy of God, the mercy has sometimes just overwhelmed the, the justice part. And we thank you, Lord, that we didn't, haven't gotten what we really deserve, but you've given us grace and mercy and salvation. And Lord, as we go into this time of just celebrating with these people who have come to Jesus Christ, We want you to receive honor and glory. It's not about this church. It's not even about them. It's about you. We want to just celebrate Jesus today. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. We are going to proceed with the presentation of our baptismal candidates. If Linda would go ahead and come at this time.
What an honor it is to have been asked to present the youngest candidate that we have today for baptism. Um, before this candidate was ever born, <clears throat> I was asking God to direct her life and make her want to choose him at a very early time in her life. So it was an exciting day for me when uh, one morning here after church, she came to me. She had been in children's service, and she said, I asked God to come into my life today. And <clears throat> I rejoiced, and I knew that all heaven was rejoicing with me at that time. Since that time, I have watched her grow in her faith and her uh, love for Jesus, and she has developed um, such a faith in the power of prayer that is beyond amazing to me for a young child. And her and I have had a lot of prayer meetings together. We pray over little things and we pray over big things. Uh, one little thing that comes to mind that was so important to her uh, was she was still pretty small. And I was taking care of her new puppy for her. And I went out into the yard and uh, had the puppy, and I got busy working with flowers, and suddenly I realized the puppy was gone. And I waited for probably an hour before I even let the family know that I had lost her puppy, because I thought probably somebody had picked it up. And it had wandered off because it was just a little tiny puppy. And uh, so I finally had to let them know, because it was getting close to dark. And Crayson came to my house, and of course, crying like any little girl would when her puppy was gone. And she said, Nana, let's just pray, and let's ask Jesus to bring my puppy back home. So we stood out in the yard and prayed, and she prayed uh, like a house of fire. And God heard her, and probably all the neighbors did too. And, um, but in just a little bit, here came Binky running across the yard into his master's arms. And that was just a little sample of uh, the way that she trusts the Lord for everything. And her faith and her love for Jesus uh, shows in her daily walk with God. And so, therefore, Pastor Joe, I'm really happy to present my granddaughter, Grayson Leonard, for baptism today. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. I'm excited about baptism. And uh, I just want to say something quick about that. I, early service, I got to see Rob baptized, and every time I see one, it just it just reminds me, um, you know, baptism isn't saving in itself. It's just a physical declaration of a spiritual move, and um, it's so exciting. This <clears throat> this man I get to present. Um, I actually saw him baptized a year ago in February last year in a different building. And um, since that time, I've watched him uh, struggle with some things, and I've watched him grow in some things. And um, I've seen his heart, and I've seen how his desire to serve the Lord has steadily increased. 
and growing deeper and deeper in that relationship and his desire to, to be the spiritual leader of his home that God's called him to be and to raise his children and to lead his wife as, as a godly man. And he's, uh, he's made the decision. He wants to, to make that declaration here to his church family as well. And uh, that's very exciting. See, he's, uh, he's flying a new banner. See, when, we, when armies used to go to war, they would, they would march under a certain banner. And I see baptism as a, a switching sides. That's showing the physical and the spiritual that, that you're marching under a new banner. And, and I know in his life, there's no turning back. This is, is driving a stake in the ground today. And uh, he's my brother, and I love him. It's my privilege to present Nathan Rosebrook for baptism. Well, it's my honor and privilege to uh, present Sean Cunningham. Um, when we first met him about six months ago, uh, they came, he came up for prayer. And so we prayed for him. And, you know, ever since then, I just really have seen him seeking the Lord. Uh, he's called us to come to his house and to help him pray over his house. And we even did a prayer walk around his property. I really see the Lord using him. Uh, raising him up as a spiritual leader of his family and the spiritual leader of his household. And uh, he was baptized when he was about six years old. And so he just wants to rededicate himself uh, now that he's a you know, he's more mature adult. Um, as a child, he was baptized, and, and his parents wanted that. But now he wants to do it for himself. You know, it, it's about him. He understands, you know, what it is now to have a, a real relationship with God. So he wants to do that for himself. And so I, I'm just here to present Sean and just say God bless you. And I'm here to present the other half of Sean is Tiffany Cunningham. Back in 97, uh, Tiffany started searching for the Lord and was feeling like that was her beginning of her walk. And in 2012, her aunt led her to the Lord. And then she's had some times where she slid back a little bit. But in August, when we met her, she came up to the altar for prayer, and she rededicated her life. And today she wants to do a recommitment in front of everybody. And again, like my husband said, uh, we've spent a lot of time in prayer for them since we've met them. And they call us, and, and we go over to the house and pray for them whenever they have any needs. So I am happy to, and honored to pre- present Tiffany. Thank you. It is also my privilege to be able to present a new friend and... Um, this is a man that I have known barely over the last year or so. I've seen him maybe three or four or five times. Um, in fact, I really didn't even know his name, just had seen him. Um, this man came to my office a week ago, a week and a half ago, and just started pouring his heart out to me. And... and um, 
Of course, any time I have a captive audience in my office, it's uh, I just feel an opportunity to talk to them about Jesus. And as I began to talk with uh, Shannon, he said, uh, I don't know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I began to just explain to him, and I said, I'm not here to pressure you, but I said, I would love to lead you to the Lord if if that's what you want. And he said, I, I truly want that. And right there in my office, I um, had the privilege of just leading him in prayer and questioning him. And and he felt that God had forgiven him of his sins and had come into his heart. And And then a week ago today, he came forward just as a public time of being able to just let let you know, let Christ know that he's not ashamed of Jesus Christ. And so I do believe after I've questioned him and I've talked with him since then and we've texted, talked on the phone and talked in my office, um, I do believe that Shannon meets the biblical requirements for baptism and it is an honor be able to be able to present him to the church, Shannon Lowry, as a qualified candidate for baptism. A few months ago, um, any of us that would have seen Nathan and April Rosebrook's family would have said that's just a, an example of a beautiful Christian family. But last year, April was dealt with tragedy and heartache in her family and um, states that throughout her, her dad's sickness and passing, she admits that she became bitter and let fear and hurt and anger control her. It became a struggle for them to make it to church, and um, she was overcome with frustration and negative attitudes about her husband's difficult job schedule and different things in their life. But on January 9th, a month ago, she knelt at an altar and asked God to forgive her for not giving all of herself to him and for letting excuses take over. And she's learning now how to start her day with God and uh, finds that her, her day goes so much better and she faces it with a grateful spirit. And um, God gave April just a special gift this morning when he led our worship band to lead us in a song that's very, very close to her heart right now. He's a good, good father. She stated that even though I don't have an earthly father now, I know that God will always be there for me and he will never leave me. April felt God leading her to um, to be baptized this morning as kind of a restart and um, just as a testimony that she is 100% sold out to Jesus, even though she doesn't understand why some things happen, and she's still obviously dealing with her with her heartache. But she is 100% sold out to God. And she wants us as a church to know that. She knows that above all, she's got a desire to, um, to set an, an atmosphere of godliness in her home and to leave a legacy for her three precious children. And states that, I want my kids to be able to look back and say, she loved Jesus 
and his love shined through her. I'd like to present April Rosebrook as a candidate for baptism this morning. If I could just have all of the uh, baptismal candidates come over here. There's a lot of stuff there, but if you could just come over on this side here. I want to just talk to you just a moment. What you're doing this morning is very biblical. We see that Christ was even baptized. This signifies that you have already taken those steps, that you have already received Christ as your Savior. And this morning I remind you how serious this is, because now you will have a lot of eyes on you. And I don't think they're expecting anybody to be perfect, but they're expecting us to live a life worthy of being called a follower of Jesus Christ. And so I congratulate you. I am so proud of you and believe that the best is yet to come. And um, stay faithful to him. I don't know how many times we've seen people that have been baptized and then they're gone. Stay faithful. This is a day-by-day walk with Jesus Christ. And I'm so proud of you. Are you ready to be baptized? Let's go prepare. Well, would you all just stand with us and we're going to just do something kind of inspired by the old baptism traditions. Um, people would walk down to the river and they would, and baptism is a time of celebration. So just singing and celebrating as they walk to the river to be baptized. And this, and this morning we're going to Prepare for baptism by just singing this old song together. Ladies, you're going to sing the first verse with Rachel. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. Okay, guys, let's take this verse. The world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. Now everybody together, though none go with me, though none go with me, still I will follow, though none go with me. Still I will follow, though none go with me, still I will follow, no turning back, 
No turning back. And then this is another verse. Will you decide now? Will you decide now to follow Jesus? Will you decide now to follow Jesus? Will you decide now to follow Jesus? No turning back. No turning back. All right, you may be seated. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.